0: very first time, welcome back to Saved by Old Times. This is a music discussion podcast where we are taking an unauthorized and very unofficial look into the discography of the band, Deer Hunter. On today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the group's second album, Cryptograms, which features all sorts of bizarre, unique stories, uh, both in its music and around its creation. My name is Trent Bristow, and helping me decode this cryptogram is my good friend and co-host, Mr. David Vance. Dave, how you doing?
1: I can't believe it. We made it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we made it.
0: <laughs> you made it out of the hazing ritual. We made it out of a uh, an extended break behind the scenes, and we are back
1: doing cryptograms. Hmm. I am absolutely puzzled. I have I have so <laughs> many cryptograms to decode. Yes, I
0: hope you'll forgive the pun on that.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Hand me a cipher. Excellent. I'm, I'm ready to dive in. Awesome.
0: Uh, on the note of diving in, do you want to just jump right into uh, what's up with Deer Hunter at this point? What they, what's been going on since uh, Turn It Up?
1: Yeah, I, I did notice a couple changes with the, uh, with the live <laughs> show especially. Yes,
0: um, yes, it's definitely entering into, into a new era. And it's the era that most people are familiar with them as a starting point. Yeah, so the main change uh, to begin is that Lockett Punt uh, joins as an additional guitarist. Uh, he's a longtime childhood friend of Bradford's. Uh, and after the band has already been touring around a little bit, uh, Bradford kind of recruits him in uh, to join the group, uh, which again helps free him up so that he's not necessarily playing the guitars that he records on the album and he's able to just perform live.
1: Yeah, the thing about that is like Bradford's like guitar style, at least uh from what I remember from Turn It Up was that like he was playing all the uh sort of the spacey, out-of-control guitar riffs and guitar phrases, and then Colin, Colin me was sort of like uh, backing it up with a rhythm. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, if there's a new band member, Lockett, notable guitar player playing guitar with his forehead.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's actually uh, Colin is the guy on the, on the side there oh, using his head. Oh, that's Colin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Interesting. The best way to identify who is Lockett at any point in time is who is wearing a plaid shirt. Uh, I almost uh, never see Lockett without a plaid shirt on. He's the plaidest man about town.
1: Well, maybe maybe a resident Canadian. Who knows?
0: <laughs> uh, secretly Canadian, which is actually an indie label. It's a little joke. Um, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lockett is uh, kind of an interesting uh, figure. He's kind of like the, the yin to Bradford Yang is how I describe him. He's very quiet and very reserved, or at least he appears that way, Mm -hmm. and his approach to guitar is a lot different than Bradford's. Bradford, like, loves to uh, layer on distortion, layer on delays, and, like, really, you know, kind of create a wash, and uh, Lockett very much has, like, a almost, like, straightforward kind of clean sound for the most part. He uses a little bit of distortion, but the clarity of his guitar um, often makes it really easy to pick out in a mix, and I think really provides like a good counterpoint yeah. to a lot of like the the hazy, more psychedelic kind of guitars. You're like, oh, there's still at least something you know defined and supporting
1: going on, which is pretty cool. Right when you're not when you're the only person who's not doing something crazy, you right. actually are the craziest person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And so he mainly contributes uh, guitar, and at this point, he's only contributing guitar. Um, but later on, he is actually um, a secondary singer uh, and does have some, some solo songwriting credits. Next up, with where, where they're at, is they tour around for uh, about a year or so off of uh, Turn It Up. Mm-hmm. And in touring, they wind up on the radar of a uh, Chicago-based indie label called Cranky, spelled with a K, Cool, and they were were mainly focused on the subgenre of like ambient, experimental, atmospheric kind of rock. That's what the label does. Yeah,
1: the label just focuses on that kind of music.
0: Yes, they have like one particular style, and they're like we are dedicated to this scene, this kind of sound. Okay. Which is cool. And actually I went on their website and looked it up. They have a specific demo policy that says if you're interested in sending us your band's demo, like please already be familiar with the sound that our label curates and make sure you could explain like how your music inhabits that same space. Uh, no shoes. Exactly. No shirt. Yeah. They're like uh, yeah.
1: No no straight uh, guitar riffs. No four chord songs. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. They're like, look, we are creating a, we're, you know, creating a vibe here. Like, don't, don't fuck with that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And I think I've seen some quotes where Bradford said even he was surprised that uh, Cranky was interested in them. He's like, I think we're a little bit outside of what they normally do, but like, it's cool
1: that they like us. Well, maybe if they like only heard Turn It Up, that would probably be the case. But like, even in that album, they were, they were experimenting with ambient space and and, uh, a whole bunch of just like soundscapes and messing with sound profiles and messing with like sort of just like the volume of content or like sonic content that is in a song yeah like it was it was layers on layers on layers and actually i
0: have some notes on that we'll get to it when we talk about how the album was recorded Mm. but initially they cranky did have some reservations about uh about signing deer hunter and especially about putting out cryptograms they were a little they weren't really sure what to do with it initially Mm. so that transitions us nicely into how did they record cryptograms (laughs) which itself is an interesting little uh little story here for you
1: uh, yeah, like, first glance listening does kind of seem like it's very spontaneous. Yes. Like, it's very, it does seem, uh, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, it seems like they might have been recording for hours, or, like, like a, a very, very long time. Yes. Maybe, like, on the whole, like, like a five- or six-hour session, and then they took pieces, and then they just, like picked that as a song
0: yeah so dave this is why i love having you uh because (laughs) you are almost spot on uh just in your your you know first listens is pretty incredible um so first time yeah so they were the album was recorded in two separate day-long sessions so they do the first half uh, up until red ink is one entire Mm day uh and then from spring hall convert onwards is another day um yeah that makes sense and what's really interesting is they're not like they weren't sequential they were months apart that they did these two
1: okay yeah okay yeah. that that makes sense right that makes a lot of sense because when
0: you listen to it it's like there's two different you know mini yep. little albums going on the sound changes yep. a lot mm-hmm. and yeah what i what i wrote down a while ago was like in the early you know era of a band like everything is changing so fast and like what is and isn't in scope for your band and your sound is still kind of up for debate and you can still kind of play around with that and so Mm -hmm. i feel like because there's a few months in between recording the first half and the second half they're almost a little bit of a different band by the time they come around like they definitely have different things that they're going for in
1: their music at that point i do like to think that a band should be able to change yeah like i I know a lot of people just like to listen to, like, if they if they hear a good album or a good song, they'd like to hear that album basically a second time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just like, no, keep producing the hits. Just keep producing, like, the same stuff. But we already gave you the hits, and we want to make something new. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think that, like, bands and musical styles and musical genres should change over time as the band keeps going. And, and that shouldn't necessarily be a detriment. Oh yeah, uh, I know. Like the way that people follow music and the way that fans follow music, there can just be like people that fall off because the album doesn't sound the way that they were expecting. Yeah, sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, you you get that with a lot of bands, a lot of legacy bands as well. They they release new stuff and it just doesn't sound the same. Yeah, but I think it's really neat that like that change happens, like, halfway through. Yes. Uh, and you can, yeah, you can absolutely hear it.
0: Right. And that's, I think that's what I think is so cool about this album, is that it kind of captures a group in transition, uh, and that it's all part of the same product, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. As well, as I was going to say, you don't have to worry about um, a band, you know, continuing to, uh, to stagnate or anything when we're talking about Deer Hunter, because uh, they love change. They love doing things differently. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. So the other thing that's interesting about cryptograms is that it almost didn't happen. Hmm. So originally, they had been playing a festival up in Vermont uh, sometime, okay. in, I think, around 2006, and uh, they met a uh, solo uh, folk artist uh, by the name of Samara Lubelski, and they were impressed with her set. They, she was impressed with their set, and they kind of had a mutual respect going on. Okay. And so she offered to record them at uh, Rare Book Room in New York, which is like a, a studio that they described as being uh, normally way outside of their price range. Oh, yeah. Um, But she was basically willing to use her connections and say, hey, I'll record you there. And if I'm Mm -hmm. recording you, we can do it for cheap. So they agree. And so they travel uh, to New York and they're like, okay, we're going to set up shop here. We're going to record. It's going to be really cool. They were really excited because apparently her sound was a lot more like ethereal. And so they were really excited to try and do that, especially they've already been in talks with Cranky. So they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll try and do some really cool atmospheric stuff. We're not going to even do so much guitar. We're going to try and do more like just like bells and, and tape sounds <laughs> and stuff. Um, and so like we're really going to like lean hard into this ambient thing. But what's funny is the sessions, well, maybe not funny, but what's interesting is that these sessions very quickly go completely off the rails. Uh, oh, no. So, uh, first off, Bradford is very sick. Um, oh, he no. ends up developing uh, the flu and walking pneumonia. Um, and so oh, he's no. having a really rough time, and the equipment in the studio isn't functioning. Mm. And they begin to lose faith in their new producer engineer. To use a quote from uh, Bradford, which I think is really funny, uh, he says, I had the flu and walking pneumonia. I guess I was just really sensitive because I kept hearing this subtle phasing and nobody else heard it. They all thought I was being a brat or being over analytical. And I was like, dude, I hear it. The tape is fucking phasing. The machine is not calibrated. And everyone was like, you don't know what you're talking about. So it leads to infighting as well, where they're debating you know is the machine fucked up is it not fucked up should
1: we do this should we not oh that's gonna that's just gonna stay in my head the yeah. entire time dude <laughs> i think i think i think this mic is phasing right i don't know about this i don't know <laughs> um uh sorry what was her name again uh, samara is her first name samara and she her band or like her style is like she was picked up by cranky as well
0: No, sorry. She's not a cranky artist. She's just her own independent soul
1: artist who happened to know
0: uh, folks at Rare Book Room.
1: Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Um, Would she be the producer on this album? So
0: no, because these uh, sessions end up being completely scrapped. They give up on it entirely. They say, you know what? This isn't working out. And they just move on. They all move back to Georgia. And at that point, they consider breaking up. They're like, you know what? This this didn't work out at all. Oh, wow. And uh, so apparently, Bradford says he still has a copy of these sessions that are somewhere on a, he says, a scratched CD under his bed that will never see the light of day. Um, and what's really interesting about this and i wish i I wish i could find a copy of it is that apparently uh some of the songs that do end up on cryptograms the album that we know and we've listened to uh Mm -hmm. are on these sessions and apparently for lake somerset there's a version of it that has a full horn section and i really want to hear what that sounds
1: like (laughs) okay so like this is this is now this is now the rarest cd in existence this is this is like This is the Dead Sea Scrolls of uh, Indie Rock.
0: Exactly. And what's even more more tantalizing about this is I saw somewhere online, it said, apparently at some point on the Deer Hunter blog, it was made available and people could download it. He was finally like, you know what? It's been enough time. I'm over it. Like, you guys just listen to it. Have fun. And it's no longer available. I tried to find it. (laughs) And so it exists somewhere out there in the world. I'll try to keep finding it and maybe we'll do a, a side listen of it one day. Um, yeah, that would be
1: hilarious. Yeah, but I, I really want to know what that sounds like. And yeah, like Lake Somerset is a very interesting song to have a to have a horn section on. Exactly. That is that is, that is a mood and a tone that I definitely want to hear.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's it sounds like such a such a left field choice that I'm like I need to hear how those two go to be, go together. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I, I want to hear that, and I'll let you know if I ever find that. We'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so what does happen is they, they give up on that. They take their scratch CD and they go home. And in this time where they're kind of all stewing and mad back in Georgia, um, there's another band from Atlanta named Liars. That's kind of like a little bit ahead of them in their like development curve. So they've been around for a little bit longer. They're a little bit more experienced and they've kind of played some shows, been in the same circles and they end up having a talk with them. and they convince them to give it another shot. And they're like, no, you guys are good. You don't have to, you know, give up just because one thing didn't go well for you. So they convince them to give it another shot. And what's interesting is they actually go back to the exact same studio that they recorded Turn It Up in. And that's where they do these two separate day-long sessions. Yeah. And then the very last thing is that the owner slash lead engineer of Rare Book Room whose uh, name is hmm. Nicholas uh, Vernhees? he okay. ends up becoming uh, an important figure in the in the band's sphere for quite a while. He reaches out and says, you know, I'm really sorry with how things turned out. Uh, can I put in the offer to mix the album for you? Nice. And Bradford credits this with making uh, a massive difference on the sound of the album. Okay, cool. And yeah, he said it turned out great. So that's pretty cool. The fact that you listen to Turn It Up and then you listen to this album and know that they recorded in the same place with the same engineers, with you know a little bit more experience on their on their side, yeah, and then also uh, different mixing,
1: yeah. Um, like I think the biggest thing about Turn It Up was that all, almost everything bled together, yeah. So like it, it was very it was very difficult to like dis- discern like one voice over another, which actually added to a bit of its charm. So like yeah, having this recorded in a different way definitely it's it's noticeable it's very noticeable um like the differences between uh turn it up and cryptograms
0: yes for sure there's there's you know a world of difference but i i think it's pretty cool that you know you can take the same space and you know almost the exact same people and tweak Hmm. it a little bit and get something so different yeah yeah so uh i would like to move us over into kind of what the album sounds like for people who maybe haven't
1: heard it yeah if you're looking to listen to cryptograms Mm -hmm. i would i would almost say it's it's almost like a sort of zen uh (laughs) sort of thing sometimes there are there, there are definitely moments where it jumps back into that sort of turn it up Lake Somerset in particular is, yes. is, is uh very reminiscent of the old style albums, but for the most part of the songs, like they're they're fairly relaxing. They're fairly um it's much easier to listen to and it's much less I guess oppressive with the amount of <laughs> the amount of sound. There's still yeah. a lot of sound. Um but I guess it's it's less oppressive, more spread out, it's more ambient, more spatial i guess yes yeah if you're listening to this album there's not necessarily every every song is isn't necessarily just like a hit yeah. it's more there's a lot of songs in here that lead into each other there's a lot of songs that sort of build off each other i i definitely hear some lyrics and some phrases that go from one song into the other and even show up like a couple songs later. Yeah. Specifically the uh the samples used are used uh, <laughs> I was going to comment on that. Yeah. All the way through the album. Yes. And they're they're real good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um yeah, it's 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 pretty cool and they ended up getting pretty strong reviews for this album. I, I kind of picked out a few like choice quotes from uh, reviewers, but for the mm-hmm. most part, the lowest they ever got was like a three out of five or a six out of ten. Most stuff was probably in the eight or nine out of ten range. One quote from uh, Pitchfork, who gave it an eight point nine and a best new music, uh, which Dave, as someone right. who doesn't doesn't uh, like follow music blogs or anything, uh, Pitchfork's best new music tag is like one of the most like prestigious but also douchey things. Uh, You can say that your music got like (laughs) Pitchfork kind of gets a bad rap now in the, in the early blogosphere days, it was like the leading blog. And then it, you know, became more and more corporate over time. And, you know, bigger artists were always the ones getting big new, best new music and people kind of, you know, lost faith in it a little bit. It still exists. Mm -hmm. People still pay attention to it because it's kind of like, you know, one of the, you know, cornerstones. But at the same time, it's like, you know, peak relevance was probably at least 10 years ago now
1: oh dang yeah, yeah. and then yeah 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 that's about that's about when this came out exactly right yeah. It was 2008 2007 this one's 2007 yeah
0: yeah so this gets a best new music from them and they say this atlanta five pieces shimmering cranky debut is alternatively murky and ethereal drawing equal influence from classic shoegaze which is like 80s guitar washes kind of thing oh, okay, it, yeah. it, the, the name comes from people watching bands and feeling like they were always looking down at their feet because they were tapping pedals on and off. Uh, So the whole genre got called shoegaze, whether or not they did actually, you know, look out of the audience or not. Yeah,
1: that's, that's awesome. And that that makes sense. That makes sense just because like, yeah, I have seen live performances of bands and especially this one where, um, they are, they are constantly trying to like check what effects they're using. Yes. I guess that's a joke that sort of developed because of their stage performance that probably wasn't the most engaging, right? but the yes. mu- the music was still good. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, yeah. And so then literally the, the genre is now called shoegaze, <laughs> uh, nice. which is pretty cool. Another influence they cite is early Factory Records LPs, which you can read as Joy Division.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's the label yep. Joy Division
0: was on. So that's what they're talking okay. about. Excellent. And the enigmatic ambient recordings with which it shares a label. So they're talking about the other, you know, ambient experimental kind of stuff on Cranky. Mm-hmm. And they say it shifts between impressionistic reverb saturated reverie and psych-heavy pop gems. Which okay. I feel like is is kind of putting the the first half and the second half together there.
1: Yeah, and reverb heavy, there's definitely a lot of that. Um I I think we can probably dive into, like, what the effects that they use. Yeah. But for ambiance, it's really difficult to, I think, give a positive or negative review. Mm -hmm. It kind of just happens. (laughs) Uh, Ambient music is something that sort of just, like, washes over you. And when when I hear them saying, like, yeah, like, reverb-laden, psych-heavy ambient music is, like, well... Well, isn't isn't that isn't that all ambient music? Isn't <laughs> isn't that it, no, no, and yes? Like there's right, there's a lot of variance that goes into like how you make the sound, what produces the sound in the beginning, and sort of like what kind of mood, what kind of tones you're using. When you're using like a lot of heavy reverb or heavy delay, it can it can end up like washing into like oh you hear every tone of the major scale, so it's very difficult sort of just to like give sort of like an accurate description of ambient music. Yeah, that is a pretty good review. Yeah, I would say that's (laughs) pretty accurate on on what's going on here. Yeah, Um, and
0: it's funny you mentioned that because. On a different review by All Music, which gave it a 3 out of Mm 5, they actually really weren't into uh, the ambient bits and basically said that from the intro to Red Ink to Providence, there's a kind of tired consistency played out in the delayed guitar that works to make the record almost commonplace, despite its avant-garde leanings.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah, they say other things like these instrumentals don't do enough to actually mean anything.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. There is also like the idea that okay, well, this is just filler. This isn't necessarily adding to anything, and I don't agree with that. I think every kind of song and and most music has a purpose and can be used as a tool, sort of like to keep your mind on the song that you were previously listening to, or maybe use it as a bridge to something else. So, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. And actually, that transitions nicely into, there's a quote from uh, Drowned in Sound, which was another music blog, that Mm -hmm. gave this an 8. And they say, the sequencing allows the listener space to breathe at the most opportune moments. And I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think the transition between, like, song and then, you know, like, bridge, or, or, you know, like they said, a breather moment... And yeah. then another song. I think that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfortunate that the live videos we have at this time don't
1: really have a... Um... They don't. They don't have a lot of the ambient music. They don't have right. a lot of those samples. Yeah. Or like, um, yeah, like all of all of the other instruments that they're using in the album. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. But like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say like the brass tacks version of, of what you hear on the live recording, which is like, a bit of cryptograms, a bit of something that I haven't heard yet. <laughs> yet you will, and uh, very little of sort of like I guess all of the the space that goes into this like this ambient performance.
0: Yeah, I, the you know not to get too ahead of ourselves, but they do start incorporating some of this stuff in a nice. little later. But yes, as of right now, I think it you know offers up the, a great opportunity for uh, a really cool like sequence of tracks live uh, mm-hmm. where you can have song transition song transition i think that makes for a really good engaging set mm-hmm. but they don't really choose to go that way with their live shows yet but yeah that's kind of a little bit of a glimpse at what it sounds like yeah for those who may not have heard it do you want to hear what bradford has to say about it
1: Sure. Yeah. Yes,
0: in an ongoing section uh, that should be called. What does Bradford have to say about his what album is in retrospect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does he feel about it looking back? So he said the band's goal was to create ambient punk, which totally makes
1: sense. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Like maybe that's what they were doing, trying to do from the start. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do think like a lot of the ideas from Turn It Up have crystallized and sort of taken form here, because you see a lot of that stuff there. And and I kind of think that they were trying to do that from the start, but they just started in, like, the angry punk mode.
0: Yeah. And as well, he says, I was really into the idea of how ambience and atmospherics could take you to a place nostalgically and trigger memories. A lot of the record was based on being ill when I was young. I spent a lot of time in hospitals growing up. I always thought that perhaps it made our records stand apart because there was some reality behind it. It wasn't, oh, baby, oh, girl, let me get with you in garage rock language. None of our albums have been romantic or sexual. All of our albums have been about what most people t- consider to be things you don't want to look at for as subject matter in entertainment.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I do think there might have been a sexual aspect to turn it up, but right, uh, not not gonna get not gonna get into there too much. Right, yeah, there's definitely sort of like a dreamlike quality to ambient music, mm-hmm. uh, and that idea where like yeah, it's sort of like a Rorschach painting where it can trigger different emotions for different people. Yeah, so it's not necessarily like Bradford could intend for this to. Sort of like symbolize either like going through his illness sort of like that that catatonia that you kind of like walk through when you're at when when you're like I don't know when you're sick and when you're when you're uh, maybe in a hospital and everything kind of just like blends together yeah it's 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 uh yeah it it can it can be pretty rough and it can seem like sort of like a dream like sequence it's not really real, yeah but like, not everyone experiences that, so other people have different ways to interpret ambient music. And definitely there are different ways that you can interpret all of the songs here on mm-hmm. the album. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that.
0: Right. And I'm really glad you said some of that stuff about, you know, feeling like you're kind of in, in a haze or, like, things blurring together, mm-hmm. because we'll get into it. Um, Bradford has talked specifically about what some of these songs are about. Uh, okay. And again, Dave, your instincts are spot <laughs> on, my friend. We'll get into it, but like you, you're already, you know, scratching around it here. You're you're digging it up nicely.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I guess I don't need that cipher after all.
0: Yes, <laughs> you were the cipher the whole time.
1: Hey, I'm down with that. Yeah. Um, can we get into the album?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, you, let's let's hop on over to what your first impressions were.
1: Well, let's take a little stroll down to Wikipedia. So. A cryptogram is a type of puzzle that consists of a short piece of encrypted text. Generally, a cipher is used to encrypt the text, and it's simple enough that the cryptogram can be solved by hand. Uh, Substitution ciphers, where each letter is replaced by a different letter or number, are frequently used to solve a puzzle. One must use the cipher to uh, recover the original lettering. Cryptograms were used for espionage. They were used okay. for yeah, they're they're used as like secret languages, that kind of thing. But for the most part, now they're just kind of like toys in magazines and newspapers. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like little little tiny puzzles that, that people can solve. But yeah, for the most part, uh cryptograms is kind of just like you take an existing language, something that you know, and you kind of just jumble around the letters and it's like, okay, so I know that B actually means R. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so like the idea that this song is sort of like an enigma, uh, something that you have to uh, have to really dive into, uh, something that you have to examine thoroughly to decode it, something yeah. that invites the audience to I think this band is like really big on inviting the audience in to participate with their music hmm. through sort of like the ideas that they generate. This is like a huge departure from turn it up, I guess, which would, yeah. it definitely did try to bring audience members in, but it also definitely tried to push, uh, audience members away. And like, yeah, this is kind of like the idea that the album is a series of puzzles that you can solve one by one. Yeah. Or, yeah. You go through them. It's cool. It's a cool idea. It's less immediately attention grabbing. I think for, um, like if this was intended to be like a restart, I don't know if it was necessarily intended to be like a restart as at at this point, but um, it definitely does feel like a restart.
0: Yeah, they very quickly distance themselves from Turn It Up. Like, you know, within a year of of releasing it and playing some of the songs live, they're pretty Mm -hmm. much done with it. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. So I think in some ways this probably is a
1: bit of a, a restart or a reboot for them like like they would have they would still have a following from Turn It Up. Oh yeah. They would they would have like a maybe a more uh devoted fan base. So mm-hmm. like you have people who would definitely be down for this kind of idea, this kind of really diving into a a album really trying to uncover like all the pieces and see uh, find out what they mean sort of thing. Yeah. But it's less of the sort of like attention grabbing album art and album title that Turn It Up had. Yeah. So I think like this the the album art for this album as well is more or less like the same kind of thing. It's definitely got that like Twilight Zone vibe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, less immediately attention grabbing, less abrasive. It's trying to pull the audience in the uh, in by subtle means instead of by just being very <laughs> very loud, very abrasive right off the get go. Yeah. Um. There is still a little deer. There's still a little deer (laughs) in the middle of the album. It's cute. Mm -hmm. I also like really like these designs too. Like the, um, the album art has a big spiral. So it's got like the twilight zone spiral that goes in and uh, it's got basically two sections to it. One that's like, forget what the colors are, but it's like a pink and a blue. And then you have wavy lines that uh, go from the top down. So it's all, it's all parallel wavy lines that go top down and it, does actually sort of, like, create an optical illusion. Yeah, totally. Where you can see different shapes inside the spiral, inside the circle. So you can see little ovals, you see little lines, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, even there, within the album art, they're hinting at the idea that you can discover other things.
0: Yeah, they're kind of, you know, suggesting that you can... Throw out a bunch of different elements, and then they come together however you interpret them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whatever your eye, or in this case, your ear, leads you to uh, discovering, which is pretty cool.
1: It's a good way to get people primed into the album. Like, this is is kind of like what you're expecting. Yeah. And it's a huge change in tone. Like, immediately (laughs) a huge, huge change in tone. But since this is kind of, like, meant to be a fresh start, this is basically what the band's opening pitch is now. Like we yeah. are, uh, we are something that you got to think about a little bit harder. We're mm-hmm. something that you kind of have to dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, it's not going to be readily appreciable music. Like you're, you're <laughs> not just going to be able to be like, Oh yeah, this is a, this is a nice four chord song. I'm able right. to, I'm able to listen to this and jam out to this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, it takes yeah. a little bit more audience participation and that's, it's great. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you work for it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you want to get into it?
0: Yeah, I'm man, I am so excited to listen to this. I, I've obviously been listening to it a lot in preparation for this, but it's an album I don't get sick of. There's there's so much variety in here that, you know, depending on what mood I'm in, I can jump around different songs. I can just listen to the whole thing for a big grab bag. Um, nice. yeah, I'm I'm excited. Let's fire it up. Let's
1: get into it. Trent and Dave. Listen to the song. What a crime it is to turn. <laughs> so that was intro, yeah, so let's let's set the scene of the album, yeah, our scene opens on a on a nice wooded stream early in the morning, <laughs> yes, insects and birds chirping, and through the mist, a man walks with a bass guitar <laughs> and a delay pedal, <laughs> and he strums one note uh. uh yeah, this is I love this, I love like how sort of this sets a stage and then slowly builds on it. Um, Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? I was going
0: to say, first of all, I love the description of uh, my boy, Josh. (laughs) <laughs> um whose last name sorry brief note i butchered in the last episode uh i invented an r where there's not one uh it's josh Faver not josh farver i don't know oh, where good. i got that second r from Sounds oh, so good but anyways uh i love the idea of him just being this you know mythical figure that's yeah. strolling through the woods laying down this uh delayed bass just walks out walks out of the mist clicks the pedal yeah. strums out
1: <laughs> one note and that's all you need that's all you uh, need
0: yeah. Um, no, I think it's really cool. Uh, it's very clearly like a field recording or something that they've taken from a stream somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that, that's cool. Like nature sounds always sound cool. But I like that then they just kind of layer more things on top of that. And to my ear, I think it kind of transitions from being like a very like nature serene thing to sounding like someone is in an ambulance racing through, uh, in racing towards the hospital. Okay. Is what it sounds like to me.
1: Okay, yeah, like so that's very interesting. So it's it starts with the stream, yeah, then it's uh, then the bass plays and it plays a one note, and mm-hmm. that that note is like filtered through a really slow delay, yes. Um, and there's not a lot of cutoff, so play that note, that note uh, hits and it keeps going on a steady rhythm for a mm-hmm. long time before they need to hit it again, and yes. like. Man, they do a good job at just, like, syncing it together. Like, it never, yeah. it never feels like, like he, he's on the rhythm. Like, he's mm-hmm. really on the rhythm of the delay pedal. So it never feels like it fully goes away. I know that he's hitting that note again, but sometimes I completely miss it. Sometimes it just, like, strings all the way together. Uh, It definitely lowers in volume and then abruptly raises in volume. So that's when I kind of feel like he hits it again. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that keeps going, and it's constant throughout the entire track. Yes. Then, after that, you do start to subtly hear the vocals. Mm -hmm. You hear Bradford in that sort of ethereal, way back in the room, like, just screaming into the void, but it's very soft. Yes, yes. then that is also cycled, I believe, through another delay. So like it builds up, it, like it, his his tone, his vocal tone builds up and then he hits another delay pedal and that sort of gets on its own rhythm. So that, I I think that's what's going on. I don't know. Yeah,
0: so I can actually tell you what I find really cool about this album right off the top is Bradford is using just two very cheap, uh, affordable, commonplace pedals, and mm. is like has found a little niche on each of them, nice. and he just works that uh, to create all these sounds. So what wow. he has is um, he has two pedals uh, by the company Digitech, which is again I've, I've nothing fancy. Right. Um, he has a digi Verb and a Digi Delay, nice. um, and they're just like cheap digital pedals. And he has the reverb, uh, the digi verb, set to reverse reverb all the time.
1: So yeah, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> anytime you start to be like, why does his voice sound kind of weird and backwards? It's because he's hitting the reverse uh, reverb. Mm-hmm. So it makes his voice sound bigger and then also backwards.
1: And Yeah, and also, like, he needs to just belt into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's insane because, like, the tone for a lot of it is really quiet. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that there is so much effort put into that tone. Like yeah. that there's so much strain and effort put into it. It feels like he's just yelling at a brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like the delay. I really like the reverb. It's very interesting because like the bass has delay and uh does the bass use the same delay pedal? Are they using No. Okay. So I
0: can explain I'll hop over to Josh, and then I'll hop back to uh, Bradford here for a sec. So, yeah, what Josh is doing with the bass delay mm-hmm. um, is he's using a, a pretty standard uh, digital delay, which I think makes a difference. Basically, you can, there's kind of like two schools of uh, delay effects, and you can either use digital or you can use analog. Okay. And digital is known for having really clear repeats. Um, okay. It was it was like the technology that was developed later after analog, and so they got better at recreating the sound.
1: Yeah. Like analog is analog is like tape delay, right?
0: Yeah, tape delay, bucket brigade, yeah, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and analog kind of messes with the sound a little bit because it just wasn't very good at creating an accurate representation of the sound that you fed into
1: it. Yeah, if you keep going onto the tape, eventually like everything's just gonna quiet down. Um, yeah. that's just the way that like that sort of copy loss degrades.
0: Right, and so I what Josh is using is uh, digital delay, so it gives a very accurate repeat mm-hmm. of what he's done. And I think when you're using an instrument like bass that has the potential to really overwhelm the frequency spectrum yeah. uh, and take up a lot of space, having really really clean precise repeats makes it able to work in a mix
1: like this. Yeah, and like it's really good in the way that like. They can use the delay in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So, if I were to say uh, these pedals are also instruments, what would you say oh, to yes. that? Oh,
0: yes. I would say absolutely. And thank you for that because <laughs> it transitions me back to my friend Bradford. And what Bradford is doing is using that reverse reverb to uh, send his voice backwards. Mm-hmm. And then he also has a second pedal uh, that he's feeding his voice into, which is the digi delay. Right. And that has a tiny little like sample function. I can't remember if it's called sample or loop. I looked it up. But basically, as long as you're holding down the pedal, it records what you're doing. And then when you take your foot off the pedal, it just repeats that back on a little loop.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah.
0: And what's cool about that is, I think its maximum time is like four seconds or so. Yeah. But it can be as short as you want it to be. So if you want to grab just a tiny little thing, it'll just keep spitting that back at you, like almost stuttering it at you.
1: Yeah, and that's like, that's exactly what happens. Like he he yells, yeah, for a good like ten or ten or so seconds and then he jams on that button and it puts it onto a rhythm. It puts yes. it puts his it puts the last thing he was screaming onto a rhythm and then it slowly fades out. Yes. And like that sort of like let's coin a term, that sort of uh, effect effecumentation. <laughs> that kind of yeah uh, the effect uh yeah. <laughs> are used in such a way that sort of like it gives it it gives everything like a new character and yes. with pedals with that kind of thing like you can sort of change and uh change them on the fly so like you yeah. can have the delay be shorter you can have the delay be longer um that kind of thing and it it can definitely be very creative, very artistic. So, like, you can put a lot of yourself into just a pedal, just a, yeah. just that kind of, uh, that kind of effect instrument.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, it like, yeah, there's a certain level of uh, skill in like, you know, really using it with purpose. And I think Bradford is very good at that. Um, he also um, has the ability to, if I've, I've seen people do this with, uh, with this exact pedal, where if you're very precise with how you tap it, mm-hmm. um, you can actually get it to kind of like glitch and sample you again while replaying the previous thing. So you don't break the existing loop, but you just pop a little bit of extra sound on top of that of what you're currently doing. Yeah. So he's actually very good at stacking layers of himself into this kind of glitchy, uh, like stuttering
1: loop thing. Yeah, like he's in, the, he's in the song now, he's in the mix. Then I believe there's a synthesizer that comes in. I'm not sure if it's like, I know there's maybe more guitars, but they also sort of like share on this sort of delay reverb sort of thing. Everything comes in and sort of gets put on a rhythm. It's, it's, it's strange. It gets put on sort of that delay rhythm, and you get strange tones that come in, pop, for a little bit and then fade out and yeah i i I totally get that i get uh that sort of vibe of sirens that vibe of sort of like very vague lights and sirens and sounds dragging you around it is it is very ethereal and it's very it's something that like you can definitely just like wash yourself in Mm -hmm. um in comparison to maybe like the other ambient tracks that Uh, We're on turn it up. Like none of this is overwhelming, which is which which I found like uh, I found that it was very easy to follow each and every thing as they came in and went. Yeah, Um, the pacing is nice. The pacing is great. The pacing is absolutely great because like yeah, the bass comes in, you get to focus on the bass, and then the vocals come in. They they reach a peak, they reach a uh, crescendo, and Mm -hmm. then they fade off. And yeah. uh, then every new element that comes in, you can focus on. And like yeah. the bass is still there, the vocals come back up, but every new element is something that you can pick out and just say, okay, well, that is there. That is interesting. What do I think about that? It comes in, adds to the scene, adds to the soundscape, and then leaves. Yeah. It's, uh, I'd, I'd say that as far as ambient music goes, I do want to be able to hear. Sort of like where it starts. I I really do want to be able to hear like, what is making the sound? What are you doing with it? Um, How is that affecting the soundscape? And everything stands out. Everything is something that you can really appreciate. So yeah, Yeah. I I do like this a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think because they're kind of slowly introducing elements, I feel like then that does kind of craft that narrative that I kind of suggested, because I feel Mm -hmm. like each new thing is like a new like step in the little journey they're taking you on. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, and I think the way that they, uh, the some of the sounds that they're creating are just like guitars swelling in, um, where they'll hit a note and then slowly turn up the volume and then kind of cut it off, so that it kind of has a very abrupt end, so that then the delay can you know make a, a sharp repeat.
1: And they're also like sliding up, right? They're sliding up with, uh, they're sliding up the tones a lot. Like it, it seems like there's a lot of slides that go up, so yeah. sort of like, uh, yeah, making those sort of sirens, making those sort of. Yeah. Or to me, sometimes it sounds like cars kind of going past as well. Interesting, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I and then at that. the very end, uh, there's I think it's a synth tone mm-hmm. um, that kind yeah, of creates no. like a heart rate monitor thing at the very end.
1: Oh, okay. So the last stab, which was just like a, a really loud synth before everything cuts yes. off and the bass goes yes. through. Yeah, that is... Th- yeah, that is... Like, I, I definitely like where things start. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like the um, sort of the stream ambiance and that kind of thing. I do get the vibe that you are being sort of like taken away. Yeah. From from this place, from this from this nice serene environment into something a little bit more strange. Would you like to go uh, to a place that's a little more
0: strange and hit up the cryptograms? Uh, okay, let's hit it. Trent and Dave, listen to the song. Who,
1: baby. That is cryptograms. What a banger. The, what a banger of a song. Yeah, and then they slowly walk back into the mist at the end.
0: Exactly, yeah. As strangely as it appeared, it mm-hmm. disappears.
1: So, like, first of all, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> to begin, hell yes. I love the way that this song, like, uses space. I love the way that, like, everything is very open. Everything is, like, very... There's nothing that they're trying too hard to do. So... This song starts with the, uh, the bass that carries over. So it's, it's on a delay. It's, it's mm. doing that constant rhythm. And then the drums come in and the vocals and a tambourine all come in at the same time on yeah. sort of like a different rhythm that's counterposed to the delay that's constantly going on with the bass. But yeah. it still kind of works together. There's no, there's no like polyrhythm. It's, it's very like they clash, but mm. not in a bad way.
0: Yeah, it's like close to a triplet or like a dotted eighth or something like that, but it's yeah. not quite.
1: No, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't even like yeah, I wouldn't say that there's there's really a polyrhythm there. It's it's just like the delay that was the delay that they set and then this this is the tempo that they had for the song. And mm-hmm. so like when it clashes, it's fine. Like it's it, <laughs> it's it's weird uh, to say like it's it's not just like put together by it's not random. It's, it, this is, yeah. they, they chose that speed for the delay. They chose that tempo for the song. So mm. it's going to clash, and it, and it does, and it's great. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, no, uh, it's really cool. And then the way that sort of like the tambourine and the drums and the lyrics come in, um, there's so much time for you to get used to these three new elements. Mm-hmm. Like they carry through like the verse is very long, it's very drawn out, yeah, and uh the first verse takes a takes a while to get through, and you get you get acquainted with everything there, you get acquainted with like how what what tones they're using, they're using a bit of a, like a major tone uh Bradford mm-hmm. is, and he's sort of like playing off of the bass, and then when they get into what i would probably describe as like an instrumental chorus. Yeah, which is great. Uh because like <laughs> I really like it. The, yeah. the new element that comes in is the guitar and the guitar plays three notes.
0: Mm-hmm. From
1: what i have here it's like a uh it, it's a, like an arpeggiated b flat c and then a and then that a moves down to a g. That's right. Yep. So yeah, it's it's making a very simple like like it's it's changing the tone, it's changing the the chords with as little effort as possible and I love that yeah (laughs) just like do as little work as you possibly can and make as much impact as you possibly can and that's why I really like this guitar riff that comes in sort of like to replace the vocals
0: yeah, and it leaves so much space, so um, like yes. which was lacking on a lot of the guitars in uh, "Turn It Up." Mm-hmm. Um, they they'll play those, they'll play the three note sequence, and they'll let it ring, and then they'll play the three note sequence again yes. with just the last note different, and they let it ring yes. every time, and they it just like it feels so wide and open. So at what that I, point.
1: what I like about instrumental choruses and what I like about things like that is that uh, yeah, like I said, it's making as much impact for as little work as possible, and the lyricist. Yeah can actually uh, get more impact out of the lyrics by letting the last thing that they said sort of like carry through the entire yes. instrumental chorus. Yep. I love that. I love that <laughs> so much. I love yeah. I love how that sort of works and like the dynamic that that makes in music. So mm. when they do that as part of like their first first chorus, it was sweet. It was absolutely yeah. like, yeah this is this is what I've kind of been waiting for sort of thing <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was great and then they go back to the verse uh, mm-hmm. there's another there's another verse with like now the guitar is added as an element yeah, it stays in yeah. it stays in and it stays uh, making those chord changes so you get used to the song with another element added and mm-hmm. then they hit it. Then oh, they hit yes, it real hard, <laughs> and I love like just piece by piece putting these dominoes down, mm-hmm. and and then just knocking them all over at once. Yeah, it's, it's really um, good the way that this song sort of like builds up expectations and then pays off the expectation. Like you get, yeah, you get rewarded for a paying attention to the intro. Because mm-hmm. elements from the intro show up here uh, yes and then you also get like just a really good payoff for for everything that they set up in this song as well
0: yeah for sure uh, and also this song has perhaps my favorite bass performance of all time uh, it's pretty high up there I love it I love the um, the second riff that comes in mm-hmm. because it has that little gap in the middle do Doo-doo, yeah doo-doo-doo-doo. Yeah, it, like, stops and, like, almost has, like, a little conversation with itself. Where it, like, <laughs> or like stops for a second and then responds. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Or, or, like, yeah, all the other in- instrumentalists. Because, like, the, the first part of the bar is shared by the guitar and the bass. But then the yes. bass fills in a little bit and then the guitar fills in a little bit later. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's definitely uh, making space and then using space
0: yeah that's really cool and then yeah the the baseline for when they actually like kick off into like the the second instrumental Mm -hmm. chorus which is when they actually do the big shift yeah uh is just so driving yeah and Uh, yeah the uh, the
1: entire band turns on all 16 of their distortion pedals and yes (laughs) (laughs) and then the bass riff is excellent it goes uh, i think it's just like uh an open f to an open c like those are those are the chords and the riff just follows along those really well.
0: Yeah, it's it's excellent, and it feels very um, Krautrock-y to me, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if you're familiar with that genre at
1: all. Um, Krautrock, I would assume it's German. Correct. Good, good instincts <laughs> again, my friend.
0: Yes, it's like a, a German, like, kind of experimental rock uh, sub-genre that kind of took place in the 70s, mm-hmm. and the goal was to, like, really create, like, minimal repetitive songs that just kind of like create a backdrop for you to kind of like experiment over top of uh, which may sound very familiar to some of the stuff you've heard from deer hunter yeah yeah. And in particular, the idea was centered around the idea of if you're driving along the Autobahn at a high enough speed <laughs> that uh, I'm serious. This is actually like part, of, part of how they uh, came up with this whole genre is they were trying to mimic the feel of driving along the Autobahn at a high enough speed where it almost starts to feel like there's a, an inherent rhythm in how your tires are clicking along. Okay. As you're driving, the rotation of the tires, yeah. and so the beat that Moses is playing actually has a name because uh, nice. it's used in almost every rock song. Uh, it's called the motoric beat. Nice. That boom, boom, kap boom, 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 kap yeah. boom, boom, boom. Kind of just it just stays steady that whole time. Yeah. And that provides a lot of like rhythmic. Pop- propulsion as well Mm -hmm. and I think as well he's learned a lot in in the time uh between these two albums I realized we were we were very hard on him last album (laughs) and I found out after the fact that he had only been playing drums for a few months before they recorded turn it up dang so he was literally just filling in being like I you know we need a drummer I guess I'll be the drummer and then they're you know a couple months later they're recording an album wow and so he was really you know doing the best that he could at this point now he sounds like a drummer who's a lot more yeah, like the um, rhythm is
1: uh, is tight and consistent all the way yeah, through. Yeah, um, for sure. And like the drums don't really change all that much. They do. No. They do ramp up a bit. Um, there is a bit of fills that come in during the more heavy parts of the song, but to that point, it is just a just a driving rhythm, just like mm-hmm. that constant uh, wheels turning all the way through from the beginning to the end. Yeah, it's just there to kind of keep keep the pace of it moving along, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And
0: then as well, the, the lyrics from Bradford are, you know, when he talks about things that are, you know, not good subject matter for yeah. entertainment, uh, holy crap, this song is,
1: <laughs> yeah, it does not that at all. <laughs> so yeah, this is like, I'm, uh, I'm able to see the lyrics now because there are lyrics okay. posted on, on, uh, yes. on, on Google search and other lyrics uh, yeah. sites. So yeah, my greatest fear, I fantasize the days were long, the weeks flew by before I knew I was awake, my days were through. It was too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, like the guitar hits after that, and sort of carries carries that sentiment through the entire chorus. Yes. Yeah. So I can I I get that like yeah these long days where you're doing nothing, suffering. That definitely sort of has that vibe of yeah I'm sort of like interned in a hospital.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, And I think it's a little bit too kind of like the shock um, of—and we kind of referenced it briefly in the last episode, but Bradford does have Marfan syndrome, Mm -hmm. which around the time that he was born— typically meant that a person would have a shorter lifespan than normal yeah. um, and now because I think I, I think I might have said this on the last episode but
1: we mentioned it briefly uh, yeah um, it was sort of like part of the stage presence and it's like how how striking yeah. his stage presence was in that video yeah. that you showed me so typically someone who had that condition
0: would be expected to have a shorter lifespan than the average human mm-hmm. luckily it, through advances in medical technology that's really no longer the case Okay, but it does still often require fair amount of surgery yeah. particularly uh, around the heart there can be a lot oh, of dang. issues with the connective tissues around the heart so it sounds like uh from interviews and stuff i've read with bradford that as a child he had to have quite a few of these basically up until he was a teenager he was still having quite a few of these like very serious uh surgeries so yeah that to sucks. My, it, does, it sucks for sure Um, And actually, we'll we'll talk a bit more about it later because there's one song in particular I think that really does a good job talking about that. But Mm -hmm. in this one, I feel like because we've gone from the intro of like the you know serene kind of calm natural sounds and intro in that like that stream, and then we kind of transition to this. I feel like this is kind of the shock of learning that you have you know a a fairly serious health condition and the the fear that comes with it. Like I feel like it's kind of him processing. The idea of, I don't know exactly how much longer my body's going to hold out. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. And then, of course, he takes it to the, you know, utmost end in the last verse there. where He's basically talking about his senses yeah. kind of all dulling and disappearing on him. Mm-hmm. And
1: then just repeating, there was no sound. There was which no is, sound. There was no sound.
0: Oof, it's creepy. Uh, yeah.
1: And this, this song, um, so like the lyrics are dark. Yes. The song, the at least the mood of the song is not necessarily dark or hopeless. The, no. The the mood of uh everything is actually like kind of a bit more positive.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: I I do feel like there is maybe a sense that the at least the music is attacking the lyrics, mm-hmm. especially That's fair. especially in how they're set up. So the lyrics take a turn and then the music takes a turn and the mm-hmm. music is a, a response to the lyrics. So like, yeah, okay, uh, my days were through, it was too late. You get a soft guitar riff over that. And then mm-hmm. uh, knowing that it's about to end, then everyone comes in with the distortion, mm-hmm. with the with uh, heavy drums, with the heavy guitars, mm-hmm. sort of attacking the lyrics in a sense. Yeah. That's neat. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, and I also like. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. How the the chorus doesn't really have any lyrics, but I do like that. Then he just switches over to immediately hops on the uh, reverse reverb oh, there yeah. and just kind of wails into it. And he's like, "I look at me. I'm an instrument <laughs> now," <laughs> kind of. and it's awesome. It sounds great. He's just kind of reflecting the general like feeling that's going on during this this chorus. Like, there's, there's nothing more to say uh, after he finishes each verse, so he just kind of emotes into it as
1: the band kind of kicks up the energy, and I think that's really cool. And then everything sort of fades back into the uh, stream sample. Oh, actually... It actually pops up a little bit in one does. of the verses, too. It yeah. does pop up in the middle, and I actually wanted to talk about this because okay. I was talking about uh, FX pedals as instruments. So why not samples as instruments DJs sure certainly do it all the time um mm-hmm. having that uh sample appear and this is not the only song that it will appear in; it will come back but like having that sort of foundation like that foundation of a calm like wooded creek wooded stream mm-hmm. appearing uh frequently throughout sort of like like the, that is the happy place like, that, is, that mm-hmm. is the thing that you're trying to get back to. And it appears after the instruments sort of, like, attack back at the lyrics. So you're given that space. You're given sort of, like, that yeah. space to go back to the stream, back to the calm wooded stream. Yeah. And then you end back up at the stream, which is why I think that this song is, like, more positive than the lyrics are.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's you know, this is my own interpretation now, Bradford has never said this, but I feel like it's almost like a, uh, like a kind of like a spiritual wake up call kind of thing where it's like, yeah, like recognize that, you know, this, this, you know, can happen and appreciate, don't, you know, don't let your days just kind of languish kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's really cool. It's good. It's good. It's great. It's one of my favorite songs yeah, by DeRozan. No, it's this, awesome. this is <laughs> I was not. I was not laying nearly enough praise <laughs> on
1: that. <laughs> How about we uh, get back into white ink? Dip our pens into the white ink. Hell yes. Yeah.
0: Trent and Dave, listen to the song. All right. All right. That was white ink. What do we think of white ink?
1: Well, as uh, the third part of the Cryptograms Trilogy, <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about this a little bit before, like, intro and Cryptograms are definitely, like, part of the same song. I also think that this is part of the same song as well. Okay, interesting. Not just because, like, um, the the stream sample carries over mm-hmm. um, just a little bit before the guitars come in, uh, but I, I think the way that this one is presented, it's presented sort of as a palate cleanser. The name yeah. white white ink implies that this is sort of just like they're throwing just a bunch of uh white out uh, on 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 what happened before. Right. So sort of like <laughs> like this this happened. Uh here's a here's a nice soothing way to just like get through it. Yeah. Uh process it mm-hmm. figure it out and it feels at least as like ambient tracks go is like, this is sort of like a, a contemplation piece. Like you're contemplating, you're kind of contemplating cryptograms. Yeah. So that's why it feels to me like this is basically the, the capper on cryptograms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everything like the guitar comes in, they play a chord. I think it's like a G six. It's just a very, uh, very easy, uh, major chord. Mm-hmm. and like the reverb and the delay are a lit a uh, little bit more wet i guess yeah it's, or, it's yeah mixed very high yeah on the uh on the wet to dry scale i guess how <laughs> how moist do you think this one is how <laughs> that's how damp- disgusting and lots <laughs> how, how damp is this uh is this reverb um it's oh man that just grossed me out a bit uh, i know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, Uh, But no, there's a lot of it. It, it, It's like, it's very washy where it's like, mm -hmm. it's turned up very high where it becomes hard to tell, you know, after a little bit, you know, where the original signal starts and where the delay kind of picks up and takes over. Like it kind of, it blends together and creates these very long, slow, drawn out chord changes.
1: Right. And I think that they understand this now, which is great. They understand that there is more noise here. So you don't need yeah. to play as many instruments. There is, yes. there is significantly less. Like it's still not overwhelming. Even mm-hmm. though, even though like the guitars can sort of like wash in to something, um, they don't it's not so much noise that it becomes exhausting. Yes. Um so the guitar goes on a bit, uh, then the vocals sort of build up, and then um the guitar changes chords. They move up. Yes. Uh, they move up to, uh, I think it's just a, 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 just a tone up in, in the major scale.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's another major chord uh, above the first one, but the way that it comes in, it's almost just like a tidal wave. Like you hear, you hear yeah. it coming. It doesn't actually, like you don't exist in that chord yet, but you hear the notes coming and yeah. then it sort of just like crashes, uh, crashes over you and like, small small waves and then one large wave and okay now we're in yeah sort of thing like okay we're not in, now we're in this chord sort of mm-hmm. thing but like you, you could see it for at least three years It's just coming at you <laughs> yeah you um, can see
0: the shadow of the wave before it ever mm-hmm. hits you
1: yeah uh so yeah like uh, again with with sort of like the paint metaphor like the ink metaphor just like throwing mm-hmm throwing this bucket of white ink over this over this paper and just yeah. getting rid of everything so it slowly just washes over the song washes over uh, everything going on here yeah. um, so the effects used here mm-hmm. there's still a lot of that delay yeah tons of that reverb um, Bradford I, I don't think that they they really put themselves on a rhythm this time no because the I, delay I don't think there's any. Uh yeah, the the delay is like a lot closer, really loose, really together and yeah, washy like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh and then it cuts out and you just have the guitar by itself. Yes. On on that delay, on that sort yeah. of uh really heavy delay. Mm-hmm. Um so it doesn't fade out and, and it kind of it kind of just like keeps going through. Mm-hmm. Um and what's what I love and something that people can do with delays is you can play with yourself. You can play, with, uh, oh, that Phrasing. sounded wrong. That sounded wrong. I, um, you can, you can, uh, you can play with, uh, oh my God. Uh, you can play with, uh, sort of like the, the, what you're making and, and you can experiment with it and sort of just like create new lines within like what's, what's going on. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, It's it's interesting to see like how they uh, who would you say is on guitar in this one? So it's it's
0: tough for me to know. Uh, I do know for some tracks
1: exactly who is on guitar
0: because there's photo evidence where it says, hey, this person playing this for this one. I'm honestly not sure. I'm torn between uh, well, all three of them, I guess I was going to list all three of guitars. But my first instinct is I think it might be Lockett, actually. Um, only because, mm-hmm. um, we'll get to it, but the song Strange Lights is actually his composition. Oh, cool. uh, And that one relies really heavily on that stacked repeating delay yeah. uh, being used to kind of build out chord changes and make them a lot bigger. Uh, yeah. And uh, have a lot more, like, sound around them and stuff. So I think this is him being like, yo, check out my cool delay guitar that I can yeah. do. Uh, that's my theory
1: yeah he plays those notes and then he he uh, moves around like he plays the chord tones of the chord and then he moves up to the next chord and sort of like Mm -hmm. plays those chord tones so it it has that sort of transition that I was talking to uh that I was talking about before that sort of like washing over transition but it's just one single guitar it's one single guitar tone so it's it's really interesting to follow and it's yeah, it's really interesting to like pick up on, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think they do a good job, uh, whoever it is who plays this guitar, of doing two different things with the exact same effect. I don't think they change the effect at all. I think they change mm-hmm. the way that they play at the very end. So in the beginning, they nice. were just kind of strumming loosely and letting the chords ring out. Yeah. And then at the very end there, for the last little section, they start playing very staccato. And they let just the repeats have that kind of choppiness to them mm-hmm. uh, because this the note that they play cuts off. So then it cuts off again and again and again on each... Repeat afterwards, so it becomes this very choppy. It almost sounds like tremolo, but it's it's delay. Yeah, and so they take the exact same effect and they use it in two different ways, uh, which is cool. I think that's interesting. Where you're like, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, just switch on another effect to make something different. I'm gonna change the way that
1: I approach the effect, and that gives me two different results. Yeah, you can use the way that you play to like make your impact, make your uh, make the impact you have on the chords, make the impact you have on the music just like that much larger. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's it's really done uh, well with the delay, I think. Yeah. They did a really good job.
0: Yeah, it feels very tranquil. It's it's mm-hmm. a, it's a nice place to just kind of relax and breathe. If I did like any like guided meditation, I would want to do like a guided meditation to that song. I feel like it's it's a nice place to inhabit.
1: You know what else is a nice place to inhabit? Oh, do do tell me, Dave. Where I, uh, I think uh, I think a really nice place to inhabit would probably be Lake Somerset. It has such a lovely name. How could it be anything
0: less than, you know, beautiful and tranquil and serene? Let's go to Lake Somerset. Trent and Dave, listen to the song.
1: Ah, it's so relaxing on the water. Wow. It's just, what a lovely uh,
0: vacation that was. That was so relaxing. I would love... I
1: missed you, Turn It Up. I missed you so
0: much. I know. So, yeah, Lake Somerset, we go right back into another, like, horror
1: punk song. Yeah. So... This is, oh man, it's such a good vibe. It's It's really good. I really like it. It's such a good horror movie vibe. That's sort of like, but it's in all the, in all the instances where they've really tried to dial into that sort of like really creepy mood, um, they've always done it in a different way, which, which I, which I really appreciate. I I really appreciate like when they're, when they're trying to be like abrasive and uh, sort of menacing. Mm -hmm. They can do it in so many different ways. Yeah, and I talked about like there was like a thriller in the last one, there was a slasher in the last one, and this kind of seems like sort of like that crime horror sort of sort of aspect where it's just like uh like a bunch of punks. Yeah, Uh, but they're they're (laughs) it's it's brutal. Like they got rusty nail bats and they're they're (laughs) they're going to work.
0: Yeah. It feels kind of like being hunted. it feels like right. something is stalking you, and it's very close, yeah uh, and like the like those um synchronized hits of the kick drum and the bass when it repeats, and mm-hmm. that one punchy note there mm-hmm. that to me feels like almost like footsteps coming up behind you or like in. Yeah. Um, Yeah, or like, you know, in horror movies, when they, when they hit the, um, the strings in a really sharp way, uh, Mm. it sounds like that, uh, like Mm -hmm. in Psycho, I know they for sure use that in like the shower scene and stuff, that kind of just like really, uh, piercing kind of stabs, yeah, (laughs) yeah, uh, that's what that feels like to me, um, it also feels like, uh, this is a slight tangent, but do you know the song Possum Kingdom by the Toadies? I do not. Okay. (laughs) But tell me about it. Okay. So basically, that's uh, like a 90s one-hit wonder... Uh, mm-hmm. song it was in uh, the second guitar hero game actually is how i found out about it yeah. um if people wanna try and guess what my age is um, <laughs> and in it the uh, singer talks kind of like hey he's like talking to this girl that he's romantically interested in he's like hey come just come to uh, possum kingdom which i guess is uh the name of like uh lake area and okay. he's like, just come up to possum kingdom it'll be great it'll be so cool and then also the subtext <laughs> we'll of the song is right and the subtext of the song is he's a vampire and he's going to turn you into a vampire and you two will live together forever in possum kingdom and it gets it starts off subtle and it gets very obvious by the end that he's like no i'm kind of like a serial killer vampire dude Um, and so it's a cool song actually it it does a really cool thing where it alters a number of bars at different times uh, to create this this cool rhythm in the verse but anyways what that um reminds me of on this song is i feel like I'm being stalked by like a lakeside vampire. <laughs> that's where yeah, they really yeah, just like
1: on me. a lakeside horror of some sort, like the swamp thing. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. some Some sort of like, yeah, creepy thing that is that is stalking you. Like, um, all of the ideas in Turn It Up in like that entire album are are mm-hmm. crystallized in this track. Yeah. I think. Like, It's, like the, the
0: best iteration of that.
1: Mm hmm like you uh immediately when Bradford comes in with the voice it hits you with that left right sort of thing mm-hmm. um like there's there's uh a, a present voice and then there's like multiple tracks yeah um saying different things like there i i think there's actually like two completely different sets of lyrics because um they're saying different things like they're not yeah. they're not they're not all saying the same thing uh, uh and like like some things uh, one track leaves out, some things one track puts in, but it's very subtle, very in the back. Like you can, uh, you don't, you don't get overwhelmed because there's like one uh, voice screaming in one ear, one voice screaming in the other ear, and they're both saying different things. Right. Um, so like some of the tracks and turn it up were a bit disorienting, but this one, like, yeah, they. they they basically did it more times and they got better at it and so yeah. now now they put those in the back mm-hmm. and and it adds to that menacing feeling it adds like someone's whispering down your neck yeah exactly and it's like the the present vocals are so distorted like so yeah. heavily distorted and that's how it starts and then mm-hmm. sort of like it's always built on top of that uh four on the floor uh bass guitar uh yeah. sort of thing so that the bass guitar is just playing that that one note for the beginning of the song when when it builds up and mm-hmm. then like you were saying uh in the middle they sort of have like a break a, uh, a break section where like the bass and the drums sort of play off each other so like yeah uh the bass um the drums will play like a, a little bit of a faster riff and then mm-hmm. the bass will uh iterate on what it's playing mm-hmm. um and then yeah then the wailing section comes in and yeah. everything everything sort of like breaks down and it's very aggressive very grimy very violent mm-hmm. so
0: yeah i also was going to say i think they improve on their techniques of making this, like, disorienting atmosphere. And I think each of the guitars actually has rolls now, which makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, the one in the right speaker is absolutely doing the skronk again. The scronk <laughs> is back in a big way on the right speaker, and uh, I like yes. it. It's good. Uh, but the other one is then, uh, in the, I think it's in the left speaker, is just doing uh, these big, long, like, wails almost, where it's just letting a note just kind of howl and shake around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just kind of being, like... You scary wallpaper <laughs>
1: for the rest yeah. of everything else. No, yeah, no there ahead. is there is definitely that like high pitched, uh, quick uh, notes that they're playing, and and it sort of like slides down the fret. It's never like one constant mm. tone; it just slides yeah. down. Uh, at the beginning uh, of the song, there are mm-hmm. guitars that are playing like really soft notes up yeah. top, and they're just yeah, and it, and it's uh, dissonant. It's it, it's sort of like trying to create. That uneasiness, that that vibe, that like, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not a good place to be. Um, I like the song a lot. I like the. Uh, I, I really like just, it. I, I did like sort of like warm up to turn it up after after not listening to it uh, for a bunch. Like, mm-hmm. I did appreciate like a lot of the songs on that album, just like what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. um and how they were trying to really create that menacing vibe. Yeah. And so I think that this song is great just because like it takes all of those ideas, iterates on them, makes them better, and this is not every single song in the album.
0: No, yeah, it's just it's just a one and done of the horror punk kind of thing.
1: This is yeah. this is like really good pacing. This is like mm-hmm. okay, so we've got off cryptograms, we've had a nice we've had a nice little ambient session to wash away everything. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Lake Somerset. Let's get messed up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, um, um, and and that that pace is good because like it's it's very dynamic. This album so far is really dynamic.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think that's something that they've, they've uh, like keyed in on, on trying to make sure that they have more dynamics in their music Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're choosing their moments at which to have everyone go off. And I think it, you know, makes those moments have so much more impact, right? When you have more, you know, quiet and loud, the loud feels louder and the quiet feels quieter. Yeah. that's it. one more thing I want to say about this song. Uh, you mentioned uh, getting messed up. Bradford did actually talk about the origins of how he uh, came up with the idea for this song. Mm. And I think it's hilarious because uh, we went on this big talk about how like menacing it is and how like it feels creepy and scary. Yeah. Um, the origin for this song.
1: Is it's just a Brad bad trip. Hurt.
0: No, no, it's it's so it's so innocent. You'll never like in a million years. If I was like Dave, guess the origin of this song. Guess what inspired it. You wouldn't do it. I know you wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to do
1: it because okay. no whoa, one whoa, no whoa, one whoa, would whoa, make whoa. this connection. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let me just take a look at the lyrics real quick. Okay, yeah. Give me and I'll, make, me, and I'll make one guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, make one prediction, and I, I I'll give you a hint. It is out there. It's not obvious. Okay.
1: What do you got? So. Uh, They're talking about orchids dissolve, equations solve, psychic landscape. Um, In the park, we hid behind rocks. Um, Until the sun comes up, encrypted in flesh. Are they just playing tag?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, That's not it, but that's a good interpretation. (laughs) I do like that a lot. Um, So the idea came about... (laughs) after uh Bradford took a trip to the zoo while hungover and Uh. he was watching the turtle enclosure (laughs) and he said he saw a tiny turtle eating some carrots and he said quote it was very cool and adorable it had this cute little neck and was very small it chewed slowly (laughs) and that was his origin for this song Excellent. Um, so the only way, the only place I really see that connection is when he talks about like hiding behind the rocks and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, it turns into this like a really menacing thing. So I don't know if it's supposed to be like from the perspective of the carrot being eaten or something, um, but it's, it's pretty cool. And then the other fun tidbit about this whole turtle thing yeah. um, is they did actually make a music video for this song. Oh no. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the guy who, created the music video for them, said, okay, so what, you know, like I'm interested in working with you making a music video. What do you, what kind of subject matter do you envision for this? And Bradford told him the story and he's like, I kind of just want a guy in a turtle costume.
1: Yes.
0: And so there is a music video on YouTube. You can look it up. It's their official music video for this song. It is a full-grown man in a head-to-toe turtle costume sitting at a dining room table eating pizza for four minutes, and it does not change. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes, it's real. The shit
1: that that they get up to in Lake Somerset, it's sickening.
0: It's like it's it's like it's a bit unnerving cuz it looks weird and especially cuz the song is so menacing but it's just so bizarre. Um so oh, sorry that's my favorite tidbit about this song. That's great.
1: That's uh, honestly great.
0: Yeah, I had to I had to let you, let you know that that video exists and I highly recommend everyone at least watch a couple seconds of it just to see yes, this is real. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm definitely going to um, Yeah. But I, after that maybe we could uh find some providence
0: yes i think it's time for another little breather uh some solitude in fact uh in providence Mm.
1: and we will get to that next time on part two of our musical discussion podcast of cryptograms we'll see you then